So uh, my message this morning is, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. Faith, uh, faith is the opposite of fear. Fear is faith believing the negative. I will fear no evil. There are no negatives in God. I will not be afraid. I will not be intimidated. I will not go quiet. We will not stop being the church of Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement? As I was uh, waiting on God yesterday and <clears throat> the thought came to me, preach on Psalm 23. And I thought, really? You usually quote that one when uh, you're doing a, a funeral. But yet, we all know this is a powerful passage of Scripture. And as I started thinking about Psalm 23 again, I felt like the Lord said to me, this is what made David, everything he wrote down in this psalm, this is what made David the tenacious warrior that he is. Everything that's written down here, this is the mindset. This is the attitude. These are the values that were prominent and on display in David when he would rise up and fight off a lion because a lion wanted to take one of his father's sheep. I mean, how many of you know that a, a sheep is dispendable compared to a human life? I mean, sooner or later, I'm sure that David's father would have butchered that sheep anyway, and it would have been a meal. But here is David given a trust. What gave him confidence to face a lion when it's just a matter of protecting a lamb? David talked about how he faced a bear. In fact, when you read his words, it was at a time when he was standing before King Saul. And he's petitioning King Saul. He says, none of the soldiers want to face this giant. Can I go? Can I go? Please, let me go. Let me go. And like a little kid, this guy was ready to run to battle. What is it that made David the man that David was? Yeah, he made mistakes. And yet when he was confronted by the prophet of the sin that he had committed, and it was a tremendous sin. It was tied up in, a, in adultery and murder. And yet when David was confronted by the prophet, you see the heart of Psalm 23 come to the surface. And I'll prove that to you in a moment. Because instead of rebelling, he repents and throws himself into the hands of God. I love that. And so we're going to look inside the heart of a warrior if we're going to preach about faith, then we have to understand that you can't have faith without a fight. The Apostle Paul says, fight the fight of faith. And so faith will always have opposition. In this world, there will always be an opposition to faith. Because Satan is still the God of this world until Jesus takes the reins of the whole earth. And that day's coming soon. Right now, you and I live in a government 
that is on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. We live in a world that is occupied and ruled by the powers of darkness, but I live in that world under the government of Jesus Christ. That's called the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? And so irrespective of the powers of darkness that rule this earth, I am in, I won't even say I'm in a bubble. I'm in a fortress. I live in the kingdom of God. The authority in the realm of Jesus Christ rules over my head. And nothing shall by any means harm me. I believe I am protected by the blood of this Savior. I believe the same one who laid down his life and died for me is the same one who rises every morning to fight for me. Hallelujah. And so we're going to turn to Psalm 23 and look inside the heart and the head of David. We know from reading Scripture that uh, David was uh, an excellent musician. And uh, he would play the harp and uh, other stringed instruments. And we know that to be true because before David ever faced Goliath, Saul's first experience with David was this. A spirit of depression would come on King Saul. And uh, he, he told his court, his uh, administrators, some of his people, his leaders, and they talked among themselves and they said, Saul said, find me someone who is skilled in playing the harp. That when this oppression comes on me, he could come in and sing the Psalms of the Lord. Just goes to show you that God advocates the power of praise, the power of worship. Please, as we get back into the habit of coming to church, let's, let's put as much priority on the praise and worship as you do on the Word. I respect the fact, I, I, I appreciate the fact that you honor the Word that uh, I preach. You honor the Word of the Lord and you honor the fact that, you know, you've told me many times that you're blessed at how I divide the Word of God and preach it. I love that. But you know, Preaching is what we receive. It's the bread we eat. But praise and worship is what we lavish on our Father. Hello? And honestly, uh, whether you're into music or not, whether you're a singer or not, uh, don't let a lack of discipline be the thing that stops you from being here on time to offer corporate worship and praise to the Lord. Can I get an agreement? Now listen, I, I know that, you know, some of us, our flesh might react a little bit right now and all the buts and, boy, you don't know. You know what I know? I know that most of us are like the rest of us and we can do it. We're overcomers. We can do it. Amen. And so Saul had asked them to find someone skillful in worship, skillful to sing the songs of the Lord. And the Bible actually records that when a spirit of heaviness would come on King Saul, uh, one of uh, King Saul's men said, I know of a young lad who tends his father's sheep, but he's quite a warrior. That's right. This is before David fought Goliath. David was not 
conscripted in Saul's army. In 1 Samuel, I believe it's chapter 16, David doesn't face Goliath to 17, and he only faced Goliath because he was bringing provisions to his brothers from his father, and his father also said, then bring news back to me about your brothers. David was not a soldier. He was not conscripted in Saul's army. Yet this man's comment in 1 Samuel chapter 16 is, this young lad tends the sheep, and he is very skillful in music on the harp, and he is also a mighty warrior. You see, I believe that the reputation that David later shared with Saul had already spread over the hills of Bethlehem where David was from. David testified to the fact that to save a sheep, he killed a lion on, uh, and he doesn't say once. The reading of the passage implies it wasn't unusual. In fact, when you read the story, as I refreshed my memory with it in preparation for the sermon, it says not only did David spare the animal, but then the, the, the lamb, but when the beast of the field turned on David, he grabbed it by its fur and killed it. And I think, my goodness, there was no fear in this young man. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you why in just a moment. But David recounts this to King Saul. And I think this man who says, I, I know of a young fellow who tends sheep, he plays the harp, He's a mighty warrior. I think David's reputation had preceded him. Even though he was not in the army, never served in the army, there's no biblical account that David had anything to do with Saul's forces until the day he delivered provisions to his brothers. And that was the first time we see any association of David with the army of Israel. He was known as a warrior. Listen to me. You and I, whether you like the uh, analogy or not, we're called to be warriors for Jesus Christ. And the enemy better know that you're a warrior because if he doesn't know that you're a warrior, he's convinced you're a wuss. And I don't want to be a wuss in the enemy's eyes. I want to be a warrior in the enemy's eyes. Amen. I want the enemy to have the reputation of me that I'm not going to take his nonsense and that I'm going to stand up in Jesus' name and what, what Jesus has already won for us on the cross, I'm going to come back and hit my enemy with it in, in that name of Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement? Amen. Absolutely. So David was reputation as a warrior went before him long before he ever engaged in a civil service in the army of Israel. Well, here in Psalm 23, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, I remember when I was a kid asking by my mother, why didn't David want God to be his shepherd? And uh, it was only some time later that I realized that this is more of an old English uh, phraseology. And what it really means is, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. 
He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. I, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if David penned this long before he ever faced Goliath. And if he didn't pen it and write it as a song before he met Goliath, the truth is these attitudes were in his heart before he met the first lion and before he met the first bear. He says, I lack nothing. I think the church should be well-versed in saying, my God supplies all my needs and I lack nothing. And not only on a financial level, but in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, something that every theologian would agree with, verse 9, for the fullness of the deity lived in Christ in bodily form. And every stodgy theologian would say, Amen. But verse 10 says, and the fullness that is in Christ is in us. David said, the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. The fullness of our God is in us. Jesus put it another word, way and he said it in these words, I am in you and you are in me. I don't know about your take on that, but that makes me impenetrable and unconquerable. I am in Christ. You are in Christ. And Christ is in you. And too often fear, in the moment of fear, we see the opposition bigger than us. But in the moment of faith, you look at the opposition and you see you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You see, faith or fear is an issue of perspective. And the mindset and the heart that was in David was a mindset is, my God, he is my shepherd. He's the one looking after me. Now, you got to remember, David is writing this. What kind of an analogy of a shepherd is he drawing from? He's drawing the picture of himself as a mere human boy, as a, a mere lad at the time, and yet he knew that any lamb under his fold, if a lion came seeking whom he may devour, David knew that as a shepherd boy, he would stand up and knock the snot out of that lion just to protect the lamb. He knew that he would fight the roar of a bear. And he would deliver his father's interest and keep his father's interest safe. I got news for you. Jesus is the good shepherd and we are our father's interest. And whenever the enemy comes against us, Jesus will be the defender of our souls. Hallelujah. On every level, in every way, he will fight for us. And deliver us. So in a moment of fear, we see what opposes us as being larger than us. But in the moment of faith, a person sees who they are in Christ. And the fact that Christ is in them. Whether we hover between fear or faith is honestly simply 
a matter of perspective. You know what Jesus said? Everything will be according to your faith. So what's your perspective? I refuse to see me after the flesh. Oh, there are moments I see my weakness. I get frustrated that, you know, uh, at my limitations. But I also know that I have to pull myself back and keep seeing who I am in Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, that's where I will always win. That's where you will always win. Yeah, the enemy will speak to you. Your past will speak to you. The echoes maybe of your dad or your mom or a teacher or someone who broke your heart and, uh, you know, failed relationship. The echo of those memories will speak to you and try to incriminate you and make you less than who you are. The only reason why the enemy has to speak to us is because he needs to convince us to come down from the lofty place of being seated in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement? Come on, church. Come on. When we're in fear, we see our enemy so much bigger than us. But when we're in faith, we see that Jesus is in the boat. How are we going to drown? When we're in faith, we see that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, and we are in Christ. So David pens these words at some time. At some point, he writes this psalm, but he's drawn on the analogy of his youth. And in his youth, he was willing to fight a lion to take care of a sheep. And in his youth, he would fight a bear. And this is what gives David confidence. A little bit like Jesus said in the book of Luke, he said, you fathers, if your child wants bread, are you gonna give him a stone? If he wants to eat fish, are you gonna give him a serpent? Then those of you that are human who have the capacity to have weakness and stinginess would give your son the good things they ask, how much more your father in heaven will. So David, I am sure, thought, you know, if I would do that for a lamb, what does God do for me? Come on now. I want to put these reasonings in your heart and in your mind because these are the things that build up faith. Faith isn't an emotion. You know, you could go to a motivational lecture and get motivated and all the endorphins are flying around and you're pumped, you're pumped, you're pumped. And when you get out of there, somebody takes the valve out of the pump and and you're not so pumped. You see, faith isn't an issue of emotions. Faith is an issue of having right perspective. Listen, whether my endorphins are flying around or not, whether I'm in a happy, giddy mood, whether I'm in a crowd of 10,000, the enemy will come to me when I'm alone and when I'm in a dark place. But that's when what will make you stand in the face of the enemy is not whether or not you feel happy, it's what you believe about your Savior. Hallelujah. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then he says, 
Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I like that because that encompasses anything that would want to challenge you. I will fear no evil, no fear, only faith, no fear, only confidence in my shepherd who is my uh, provider and the one who protects me and looks after me. Look at what he says here in verse 5. Not only was he absolutely convinced that there was no reason to be afraid, David uh, goes on and he says, for you are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. Your rod and your staff. You know, to a shepherd, a rod, a staff is also used at times to hit the sheep a little bit and get them on the right path. Sometimes it brings a little bit of direction. Sometimes it brings a little bit of correction. Listen, I said to you when David was face to face with the prophet and the prophet was calling him out on his sin. What David had written in Psalm 23 was in his heart because a moment of correction and a moment of rebuke came to the mighty king. And he didn't get snarly. He didn't get defiant. He didn't put on his sword and his helmet and says, who's going to talk to me like that? He also knew how to be humble to the authority above him. And David said, I have sinned. And God, I've sinned against you. David understood that God's correction was a good thing. David understood that the rod and the staff of the shepherd is a good thing. Because we as sheep sometimes will go the wrong way. Sometimes we'll do what we want to do. And sometimes God needs to correct us. Sometimes he needs to discipline us. I want to tell you, you are never in a safer place than when God is loving you or even when God is correcting you. Either way, in God's hands, you're in a good place. I would rather be in that, that, uh, the classroom of correction with God than be let loose to run frivolously and carelessly doing my own thing because in the deception of peace and happiness, the enemy has got his mouth open, and I don't even realize I'm just dancing on his tongue. And it'll come down on us. I don't want the liberty of getting away with sin. I want the safety and the protection of being under the shepherd's eye. Can I get an amen? Come on now. I, I, I need to know that even though I just said something that's a little bit cutting and convicting, that you're still with me and you're in agreement. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. I, I, I honestly believe this. I'm not preaching this to make a point or to get at someone. We're looking at what made this man be so revered even by God. God loved him. The word of God leaves us a testimony that this was a man after God's own heart. 
And so I almost think we should put Psalm 23 on our refrigerator not so much as a religious psalm and, oh, it's a beautiful psalm or, you know, and not even as a protective thing. Maybe we should put it on our refrigerator as a list that we keep marking off to make sure that we have those corresponding attitudes. A checklist. Because I am absolutely convinced that this is the attitude and the mindset and the heart set that was in David. And it's what brought him to the place that he stood in. Amen. Um, David goes on to say, as if that isn't enough, he says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I love that. I, in fact, when I read that again in preparation for this message, I thought, this is perfect for COVID-19. In the middle of my enemies, you're preparing a feast. <laughs> in the middle of what's supposed to be an economic downturn, in the middle of what's supposed to be fear and doom, we're having a party. Listen to me. In the midst of your enemy roaring, in the midst of the enemy raging, in the midst of the enemy uh, having a fit, we have to have this mindset what is it that made David the kind of warrior that would charge in a battle and come out not wounded, come out victoriously? What is it that caught God's eye about this young man that God would say, he is a man after my own heart? On the one hand, he's a fighter, but on the other hand, he respects the law and the authority of God so much that the moment he's found wanting, he just crumbles before God and weeps that he offended his father, that he offended his God. I love what's inside of this young man and want to emulate it more and more. Even in, as I've grown older and older, it's almost as if the, the older I get and hopefully the closer I get to the Lord, the more I realize I need thee every hour. <laughs> every hour, I need him. I, so David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I want every one of you to think of a banquet table out in a green grass fields, and I want you to declare to yourselves and have the mindset that in the midst of COVID-19, you're going to prosper. In the midst of an economic downturn, whether it does a V-shape rebound or not, it doesn't matter. My God's got me on the mountaintop. Hallelujah. We're not subject to the decrees of man. We are subject to the good will and the love of our Father. If we believe we are. Amen. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. I, I have been so thrilled. I uh, as I've heard testimonies of different folk who have been, been blessed during this COVID-19 period, this period that's been labeled as a pandemic, uh, you know what? Why don't you put your own label on it? The world's calling it a pandemic, and I'm not trying to decry that, but let's name it ourselves and say this is the time of great blessing. This is the time of great reward. This is a time of great prosperity. I am not, please don't, don't take my sermon and make it political. I am not trying to be political here. 
I'm not trying to say, oh, it doesn't exist. I'm not even going there. I'm not even going to entertain that. My eyes are on the Word of God and who God is to me when things are great and who God is to me when the world is saying things are bad. Are you with me, church? Come on. Let's stay united. Let's stay focused because otherwise... Whatever COVID-19 does or doesn't do out there, if it gets us divided on political theories, then we lose the blessing of God in the house. And that is far worse than anything that's out there. Hallelujah. We're going to stay unified in faith. So David says, uh, uh, you know, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm always going to be in his eyesight. I'm always going to be in his blessing. I'm always going to be in his good books. Do you understand that's what David's saying? You know, sometimes we read this and we read it with a religious mindset. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Whippy. Come on, what does that mean? If you're in the house of the Lord, you're under his eye. If you're in the house of the Lord, you're under his blessing. If you're in the house of the Lord, you're under his protection. Come on, let's not read the word of God with religious tradition. Let's let the word of God speak to us in revelation and power. Hallelujah. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Does that mean I got to go to church every day? I will dwell in the house of the Lord. His protection is on me. His angels are around me. His blessing is on me. Hallelujah. The house of the Lord. Hey, do you know where the house of the Lord is in the heavens? They got streets of gold. Why do we read scripture with blinded eyes? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I can't think of anything better. Not because, oh, I love his presence. No, yeah, I do love his presence. But that means I'm constantly in his eyesight. That means I'm constantly in his presence. I want to see the enemy try to tear me to pieces when I'm in the house of the Lord. What a great place to be. It's an attitude. It's a mindset. It's a place of spiritual dominion. I'm in the house of the Lord forever. Praise God. I love David's attitude. No wonder God, David caused a twinkle in God's eyes. All the days of my life, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to do this real quick. I thought this was phenomenal. Uh, Pastor Jan, in the prayer meetings here uh, that we've been having for the last two years, every once in a while, she'd read a piece of scripture from the Passion Bible. And... Uh, <clears throat> So on my computer software, I have all these different translations, and I looked this up in the Passion Bible, uh, the 23rd Psalm. Listen to what David says. This is the Passion Translation. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers me a resting place for me in his luxurious love. He tra his tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. 
He opens before me pathways to God's pleasures and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor and glory to his name. Do you know that when we do well, when we overcome, when we succeed, it brings glory and a testimony to God. Amen. Now listen to this in verse 4. Even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me for you already have. I love that. Fear will never conquer me because you already have. David is saying, you, you, you've got my imagination. How can fear get in my imagination? You've got my imagination. Fear's not going to get in my emotions. You've got my emotions. Fear's not going to get into my logical mind because you've got control of my logical mind. Fear will never conquer me because I'm yours. What a phenomenal way of looking at this piece of scripture. Fear will never conquer me, for you already have. And, um, you know, <clears throat> in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32, David said to Saul, this is, we talked about chapter 16 when he was looking after the sheep and, and Samuel the prophet came and anointed him and said, one day you'll be king. Chapter 17, he's bringing food to his brothers, and there's this giant on the other hill. For over 30 days, he had been taunting the people of Israel, and the army was afraid. This fellow was a good nine feet tall. The soldiers were afraid. And David goes before Saul, and this is what he said to Saul in 1 Samuel 17, 32. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Let nobody's heart fail for fear. How could this young man be so bold? Because he was convinced the Lord is my shepherd. He's got me. And fear will never conquer me. Because God already has. Wow, how powerful. How powerful. And then, of course, Saul comes back with, you know, a negative mindset and says, and Saul said to David, you, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him. You're just a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Do you understand that David equated himself with the armies of the living God, even though he was not formally conscripted? What am I saying? Why bother making that point? Oh, it's Memorial Day weekend. No, you are conscripted. You are part of the army of the Lord. 
we are in a warfare whether you want to opt out or not. And if you opt out, the enemy will see you as someone he will overpower. So since the enemy has picked the fight, we'll give him a fight. And we'll give him the fight of faith. And we will be bold and we will be confident and we will be full of faith that nothing shall by any means harm us. Can I get an agreement? The Passion Bible goes on to say, Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of the darkest, deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. You become my delicious feast when my enemies dare to fight me. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit, and you give me all I can drink of until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? Your goodness and love pursues me all the days of my life. And afterwards, when my life is through, I will return to your glorious presence to be with you forever. Amen. That is the song of an indestructible, unconquerable life. Amen. As we conclude here this morning, I want to encourage you, church, gird yourself up with faith. My confidence isn't in who I am as a human being. My confidence is in who I am in Jesus Christ. And when we put our confidence and our perspective back on who we are in Christ, it doesn't matter if they want to call it COVID-19 or COVID-21 or COVID-54 or they want to name it a pandemic or anything else. In fact, it doesn't matter what the crisis is. This is not a word just for this season. While it's a word in season, this is the word of the Lord. We are coming to a season where we must become people of greater faith because the enemy will huff and he will puff and he will threaten to blow the house down but not by the hair on our chinny-chin-chin, but by the Holy Ghost who is in us, we will overcome in Jesus' name. Amen? Come on, give the Lord a clap. Would you stand with me right now? Don't worry, Juliet. For those of you that are watching, and for those of you that are here, if you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, then friend, I want to tell you, you're on your own in a very ugly world. But when you let Jesus Christ come in your heart, you are encompassed by an awesome cloud of witnesses angels and all that accompanies the Godhead surrounds us and keeps us safe and keeps us protected. I want everyone to close their eyes right now because this is a moment of serious and important reflection. If you are not 
walking with Jesus in your heart, if you have not asked Christ into your life, or if you've turned away from the Lord and you just happen to be watching today, or you're here today, and I want to give you this awesome opportunity, and that is to have this wonderful, incredible Savior living inside of you, Jesus Christ, right now, all over the internet, all over the nations, all over this church, I want you to ask Jesus Christ into your heart. I want you to say yes, because it's the confidence of God in David that kept David. Amen. While every eye is closed in this building, is there anyone in this room that wants to raise a hand and signify that they want to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior? You do that. And right now, those of you that are online, whether it's on YouTube or on Facebook or wherever, whether you listen to this sermon three months down the road or three years down the road, it doesn't change the fact that the Holy Spirit is talking to you. Everyone who is saying yes to accepting Jesus Christ into their heart, I want this whole congregation, I want everyone to repeat this prayer after me. It's the simple things that God hears. Come, repeat after me. Dear God, I know you love me. Jesus Christ, I believe you are God. And you came to earth to rescue us, to save us, and to deliver us. Jesus, I have made mistakes. I've sinned horribly. And I'm asking you to forgive me and to live inside of me. Jesus Christ, I welcome you now to be my Lord and Savior, to live in me, to live with me, and to live through me. I yield my life to you, and I want you to take control. Father, I thank you now that you hear my prayer. Jesus, I thank you now that you hear my prayer. Holy Spirit, I thank you now that you hear my prayer. Come and fill me. Forgive me and empower me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor Steve, uh, do you think it would be possible to get the whole team up here? And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I'm excited. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Yeah, hallelujah. I know we've been praying, God, let there be a real Pentecostal outpouring of your Holy Spirit falling on each and every one of us. I want, Pastor Stephen, if you would lead the congregation in singing the blessing song. As we close here this morning, let's go. We came in the blessing. Let's leave with the blessing. Let's speak it over each other. And folks, you've just heard this word.
I want you, when we get to that amen part, to sing with a renewed sense of conviction. Amen. The blessing of God is on me and will stay on me and my family. Can I get a, a yes? Are you with us? All right. Don't forget, as you do leave, the tithe and offering buckets are up the back. And uh, those of you who are giving electronically, God bless you. Those of you that have been watching with us, just worship with us one more moment as we pronounce, as you're singing that in your home, sing it over your family. Sing it over your family. Do you know that I, I've lived in Australia for 29 years, and in Aboriginal tradition, there are two things they will do. They will point a bone at you, a, 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 a dried out bone and curse you and they will sing over you and curse you and in their traditions because of their belief and because of what that's connected to it'll bring death the enemy understands the power of these things the church should understand it better than him because these things are backed by God's Holy Spirit and backed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So you sing it over your house and sing it over your family. Let's sing it over one another right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.